Lord Jesus, we ask that you would use the Bible and what it says to us this morning to help us grow deeper in community with you and with each other. We pray this in your name. Amen. I remember once uh, visiting a church where the sermon on that particular Sunday was on hugging. Why we should hug, how we should hug, when we should hug. And as an emotionally repressed Eastern Washingtonian, I felt fear. But I got really alarmed when the pastor said, I'd like you all to stand for a little experiment. And I thought, oh, no, what's he going to make us do? You know, I'm a Presbyterian. If it's not in the bulletin, I can't do it. And the pastor said, I want you to turn to your neighbor and give them a big, gooey, sloppy hug. So I turned to the only other person in my row, which was this six-foot-something linebacker of a guy who was looking as awkward as I felt, and I said, how about we just shake on it and call it even, okay? (laughs) We both thought that was a much better idea. Now, I do want you to know, though, that over the past few years, having been here, you all have warmed me up a little bit, and, and now I can hug, and I've come to see that that pastor had a good idea, so I'd like you to stand right now, because... Ha! <laughs> Not really. But I scared some of you awful bad, didn't I? <laughs> I think that story captures two truths. The first is that Jesus calls us into loving, close community with each other. And the second truth is that that kind of community is often awkward and difficult to do. We're doing a sermon series called Remade. Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. He makes us new as individuals, and he wants to make us new as a community. And I think community, deep community, is something that a lot of us really want. Do you ever long for a small group of people around you who know everything about you, your secrets and everything, but love and respect you anyway? Do you ever long for a group of people where you're supported and where your victories are celebrated and your defeats are mourned? A band of brothers and sisters with whom you can have adventures and accomplish things together that you never could do on your own. I think that's why sports is so important to many of us because it gives us that sense of camaraderie. God designed us for community. But on the other hand, we are also afraid of it. Not really sure we want to be fully known. That sounds kind of scary. Most of us are too busy to find the time we really need to develop real close community. And to be honest, sometimes some people can get on our nerves. As John Ortberg puts it, everyone's normal till you get to know them. And then they're just irritating, right? Or they compete with us for things that we want, or they want things from us we're not sure we can give. And as a result, we may have friends, we may have golfing buddies, we may have church acquaintances, but our relationships often feel like they're a mile wide and an inch deep. But it was always and is still Jesus' intention to change us and to change the world through community. When Jesus left, he didn't leave behind a bank to fund his movement, didn't leave behind a building to house it in, or a school to teach about it, or a board of directors to organize it. He left a community of 11 men who had spent three years traveling, eating, sleeping, learning, praying, doing life together. So one of the things I believe Jesus would want to change and remake is us as a community in a couple of ways. First, Jesus wants to make us from a club to a Christ-centered community. 
You know, most of our relationships are based on having things in common. You know, business friends, rotary club friends, golfing buddies, people of the same race, same economic class, generally speaking. But that's a club, not a community. And sometimes that's what churches can be, kind of religious clubs. But the community that's described in the story that Terry read is really different. It's filled with people who spoke different languages. They were different races, different classes. And what held them together was Jesus. That's why the text says that they devoted themselves to learning about Jesus. Notice, they didn't just add Christianity to their already busy lives as one more thing to do. They devoted themselves to Jesus and to each other. Because only Jesus can supernaturally transcend all of our differences. And if our relationships are only based on common hobbies, sort of same economic class or status, or just on plain old liking each other, we are missing out on the richness that comes from being bound together supernaturally through the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants to make us a Christ-centered community. Second thing that Jesus wants to do is remake us from being independent individuals to a caring community. These early Christians cared for each other. When someone had a need, others in the community would sell off some of what they had to provide for the person in need. That is a very powerfully attractive community when people care for each other like that. A while back, one of our members heard about a soldier in Iraq who'd been wounded and been flown home to a hospital on the East Coast. But his family couldn't afford to get back to see him, and so a few people from our church pooled their money and their frequent flyer miles and flew the whole family back east to see this soldier. That's community. People caring about each other. That's one of the reasons I'd encourage you to get in a small group or join the choir or teach Sunday school or something so that you can get to know people so that when you have a need, we can help you. Jesus wants to make us a caring community. Third thing Jesus wants is to remake us from being a spiritual fashion show to an honest community. You know, we live in a culture where we are taught to pose, hide our flaws, pretend that we have it all together. And as a result, the church becomes kind of a spiritual fashion show where we come to show off our victorious life, right? Look at me. Look at my church face. Got it all together. Reminds me of an old story I heard once about a little boy who comes running into the living room where his mom is talking to the pastor and he's really excited because he's got this dead rat in his hand. You know, eight-year-old boys are eight-year-old boys. They love doing stuff with rodents and insects, stuff like that. He's, he's got this rat in his hand, but he's so excited he doesn't see the pastor sitting there. So he says to his mom, Mom, there's this rat running around, so I shot it with my BB gun, and then I threw a rock at it and hit it, and it kind of dropped to the ground, and then I threw a bigger rock at it, and then I kicked it, and then I stomped it, and then I stomped it again. Then he looks up and he notices the pastor. He realizes he's in big trouble. So with a very pious voice, he says, And then the good Lord called him home. (laughs) Now, I know I'm going to get some letters from PETA for telling that story, but I think it makes a good point. We get real good at putting on the church face, don't we? In spite of the fact that what many of us long for is a place to be really honest, to just let it all out. That's why Charles Swindoll says that the neighborhood bar is so popular. 
He says it's a counterfeit community offering escape rather than reality, but it's also unshockable. I love that, unshockable. You can tell people your secrets and they won't tell anyone else, don't even want to. He says the bar flourishes not because people are alcoholics, but because God has put into the human heart the desire to know and be known. And so people seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. In the Bible, it says that we should confess our sins to one another and pray for each other so that we may be healed. Now, that is a powerful verse. And what it describes is an unshockable community. And that's who we're called to be, an unshockable community where we are free to confess everything and find love, acceptance, and healing. So let me encourage you, with your Christian friends, in your small group, push each other to get beyond news, weather, and sports. Get beyond the prayer requests for Aunt Edna's bunions, right? I mean, it's fine to pray for the bunions, whatever bunions are, but if we're not going any deeper than news, weather, sports, and bunions, we are missing out on really knowing each other. We are missing out on the life-altering, paradigm-shattering, supernatural power of Christian community where our hopes, our fears, our sins, our secrets, our dreams, everything, good and bad, is known. You know, one of the things that just breaks my heart is when I am counseling someone who's struggling with an addiction that they've been struggling with for years or, or they're getting a divorce and it's pretty much beyond the point of repair and but it's been coming on for years and nobody knew. And I just think, oh, if only we could have let the Christian community in sooner, maybe we could have helped. I have several Christian friends who have, I've known for more than 20 years. And they know all my stuff, everything about all my thoughts, all the things I'm most ashamed about, you know, and don't you go trying to figure out what those are, right? It's not polite. Besides, I've told most of them to you anyway. And I can remember sharing those things for the very first time and being so afraid. But then having them say to me, Scott, I have never loved you or respected you more than I do right now. Do you realize how powerful that is? When someone knows all the bad stuff and says, I have never loved you or respected you more. I mean, it just makes you want to go find some more bad stuff to share, right? Oh, here, you like that? I've got more. You can only be loved to the extent that you are known. Because no matter how much someone says, I love you or I respect you, if there's stuff that they don't know, a little voice is going to go off in your head and say, yeah, but if you only knew, then what would you say? But if even just one person knows, that's freedom. Because now you're fully known and accepted. Jesus wants to remake us into an honest, unshockable community. And then, once we've been honest, the fourth thing Jesus wants to do is remake us from a spiritually complacent crowd into a transforming community. Once someone shares their secrets with you, let me tell you two things not to say. Oh, gross, I feel like throwing up. Not helpful. Right? But equally unhelpful is, oh, that's not that bad. I've done way sicker things than that. Right? Don't worry about it. No. The point of confessing our sins is to be healed from them. Because sin hurts us and it hurts others, which is why God says, don't do it. The point of confessing our sins is to get people around us to pray for us and hold us accountable and encourage us and encourage us to grow and celebrate with us when we do. So when someone confesses something to you, try this sentence. I love you. I'm not judging you. Now, how can I help you get better? Jesus wants to make us into a transformational community. 
And then the last thing that Jesus wants to do is remake us from a holy huddle to an outward-reaching community. You know, as the book of Acts goes on, in fact, even as this passage ends, this little community of people moves out into the world, and they begin to care for the poor, start to heal the sick, start to serve in the name of Jesus. They don't just huddle up together. Right? As I've told you before, biblical community is intimacy plus a mission. Intimacy plus a mission. If all we have is intimacy, if all we do is sort of sit around and share our feelings, right? that's not community. That's sloppy agape, but not community. Likewise, someone in the choir liked that. Likewise, <laughs> if all we do is just go out and serve and serve and serve, we're just a task force. Jesus calls us to be a Christ-centered, caring, honest, transformational community that is reaching out to the world. Now, it needs to be said that all of that isn't easy. Real community involves self-sacrifice. It involves reconciling our differences with people we don't necessarily like. As Henri Nouwen puts it, community is the place where the person I least want to be there is always there. I mean, just look at Jesus and his disciples. I mean, Jesus chose Simon the Zealot, who was a left-wing extremist and committed to violent overthrow of the Roman government. The only people he hated more than Romans were tax collectors who, who, who collaborated with the Romans and price-gouged their fellow Jews to make a huge profit. So Jesus says, hey, you, Simon, you're a, you're a zealot and you hate the Romans and tax collectors. You, I'll take you. And then he says, hey, you, Matthew, you're a collaborator and a tax collector. I'll take you too. Hey, why don't you room with Simon? Right? Should provide for some really interesting late-night conversation. But that's the beauty of Jesus. He puts all kinds of people together. Caucasian, Asian, Latin, African, rich, poor, middle class, Republicans, Democrats, independents, left brain, linear, sequential people who are always very well organized and slightly irritating because of that, right? And right brain, right brain creative types who just always kind of feel groovy all the time. <laughs> and the only way that that's going to work is when the Holy Spirit binds us together and transcends our differences. And when that happens, and it does, and I've seen it happen, and I've been a part of it happening, when that happens and people get a whiff of genuine Christ-centered community, it is irresistible. When I was a college pastor, I led a Bible study in one of the fraternities, and there was this one guy in the frat who knew most of the guys in my Bible study, but he never came to the Bible study. And This guy wasn't a Christian, and by his own definition, he was a bit of a jerk at the time. Spent every weekend getting drunk and sleeping with whatever woman he could find and usually left a lot of heartache as a result. He was really self-focused, always talked about himself, was always trying to get the best parking spot or the best room in the fraternity. Well, one of the guys in my Bible study started inviting this guy to come to the Bible study. And he'd say, well, why would I want to do that? And his friend would always quote Proverbs 27, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Kind of a cryptic response, right? I mean, Every week it'd be the same. Do you want to come to Bible study? And he'd say, why would I want to do that? And his friend would say, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Well, finally, this sort of wore him down, and he decided to try the Bible study just to see what all the metallurgy imagery was about. And what he found surprised him. He found a caring community who accepted him just as he was. He could tell us everything, and he did. But he also found a group of guys who would hold him accountable and lovingly confront him and say, we love you, but you're not being the man Jesus and we believe you can be. How can we help you get there? 
He found a community that lived a different lifestyle, actually one that was more fun, more adventurous than the one he was living. They'd do things like go to the Andes Mountains to dig a well or build a house just to help people in the name of Jesus. And several times we spent the night in the Tenderloin District in San Francisco to hand out sandwiches and conversation to the street kids there. He said that was the biggest rush he'd ever had in his life, better than bungee jumping. He saw a community of guys who were caring for each other and helping each other out when they needed it. He found an honest band of brothers who were opening up about the secrets in their lives and finding healing. One guy overcame an addiction to pornography. Another worked through some really tough emotional scars that his father had given him. And gradually, over the course of two years, this guy changed. He invited Jesus into his life, started treating women better. In fact, found one good woman that he decided he wanted to love for a lifetime. He started respecting his friends more, actually began to ask them questions instead of talking about himself all the time. Volunteered at a church to help out in a youth group, made some great friendships there. His life was changed and became much richer because he was part of a Christ-centered, caring, honest, transformational community that was reaching out to the world. So if you have never experienced that kind of powerful community, let me encourage you to move toward it. You know, if you're not in a small group, call the church so we can put you in one or sign, sign this blue form right here in your bulletin so that we can get you in a small group. And if you are in a small group and it's feeling kind of stale and eh, not really biblical community, right, push to deeper levels. Encourage each other to open up about the real hurts, the real fears, the struggles inside. If nobody in the group is doing that, you go first. Everyone else, you follow. Find a common mission together. Serve at the Jubilee Reach Center or knit caps for cancer patients or join auto angels and fix cars for people who can't afford it. And above all, ask the Holy Spirit to be part of your group because we can't do this without his help. You know, when you say the word church in our culture, people think of buildings and dogmas and doctrines and, you know, nobody wants that. I mean, nobody got up this morning and said, gosh, what I'd what I'd really like to do is go somewhere where I can hear moralizing and judgmental statements about my life and get embroiled in irrelevant arguments over how to baptize someone or what kind of music to sing in church and where I'll get charged 10% of my income for this experience. As attractive as that sounds, nobody thought that this morning. But fortunately, that's not what church is. Church is what happened 2,000 years ago. When there was a group of people who loved each other with such devotion, they were willing to sell their possessions to take care of each other. A community where people of different races who had hated each other for 500 years started calling each other brother and sister in Christ. A community of people who took care of the sick and the dying, even if it meant dying themselves. A community where prostitutes and embezzlers and former child molesters and businessmen who exploited their workers all came together and honestly confessed their sins and heard the words, Welcome home, brother. Welcome home, sister. Now, how can we help you grow? A community of people whose common life together was so powerful that it overflowed the boundaries of their little group and spilled out into the world. And more and more people wanted to be a part of that community. In spite of the fact that the penalty for being part of that community was death by being thrown to the lions or wrapped in pitch and set on fire as a human candle to light Roman orgies. You just can't stop that kind of community. It is just irresistible. That's what church is. That's what real church is. Jesus church, Holy Spirit church, that's what it's all about. And it happened then, and I am convinced that it can happen here with us at FPCB 
as we allow Jesus to remake us as a community so that we can be changed and so that he can change the world through us. Lord Jesus, thank you for the wonderful gift of community that you give us. Lord, we confess that we want it, but it scares us. We confess we don't put the time into it. We confess we're not always as honest as we need to be. Lord, help us to do those things we need to do to form genuine community with each other so that the world out there will know that you are Lord because of how you live in us and we'll give you the glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.